Spider-Man and the Black Widow. Welcome to FW Team Up, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm Siskoid. And I'm the Irredeemable Shag. Taking you through a classic superhero team-up, Spider-Man and Black Widow, from Marvel Team-Up number 140, cover dated April of 1984. And Shag, this is a new era for FW Team-Up, as explained in the previous announcement episode. How do you feel about becoming a regular co-host on this show? Well, it's about darn time, sir. I'm just saying. (laughs) I'm super excited. You know, I, I came in for episode one of the show. Yep. I don't know that I was ever invited back. I mean, I took it personally, but I'm glad to be now officially your co-host. I don't want to hear if there's going to be other people here with Brave and the Bold and all that nonsense. It's all about Marvel team-up all the time, folks. Well, when we started this, I, I put up a, like a list of all the team-ups possible, etc. And you put your name down for a bunch of Marvel team-ups. Like, <laughs> if we're doing Marvel team-up, I'm up for it. Any Marvel team-up, I don't care which Marvel team-up it is. And, you know, I was like, okay, well. So when this new formula came up, Obviously, you were the first on the list, but not the only one to ask for it. Ooh. Oh, no. Okay. All right. So uh, I hope there are no sore egos, you know, among the network all-stars, but... Sorry about that, Diablo Frank. Not a network (laughs) all-star, but hopefully a commenter. So, yeah. So, like I said during the announcement episode, each of the segments, like we're doing Marvel Team Up... Each one will start at a different point. It's an index show. We want to cover as many other comics as possible, but we don't have to start with number one. And in your case, we're not starting with number one. Where are we starting? We're starting at the end, actually. Yeah. Because uh, this was, well, I should say, Marvel Team Up was my Spider-Man monthly comic as a collector. So we're starting where I started. So uh, my first issue was Marvel Team Up issue 141, which is actually the issue after this one. So I went to the store, I bought that one, and I loved it, so I immediately went back to the store and bought the issue before, which is 140, which is where we're going to cover today, starting here. But the whole idea here is what we're going to cover is the black costume era of Marvel Team Up. Because this issue, Spider-Man gets whisked away to Secret Wars, sorry, spoilers, and next issue, the black costume debuts. And for me, I, as a kid, you know, on the school bus talking to my friends, because comics were super popular my school. I missed the debut of Spider-Man's black costume in Amazing uh, Spider-Man, was it 252 or whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. And I was kind of bummed out about it. But then I saw issue 141 of Marvel Team Up on the shelves with the Spider-Man, you know, costume debuting there. So I had to get it. So I bought it, fell in love completely, and I kept going. And um, interestingly enough, like, it's so weird looking back. Like I just said, like Marvel Team Up was my Spider-Man comic, right? But it was really only for about seven months. I looked back at my collection. Apparently, that's all I collected it. I, uh, but I've read the majority of it since then. But, you know, time works differently for kids. Because when I was a kid, those seven months, they felt like a lifetime, right? I mean, seven months to a kid is a lifetime. And I, so I try to think of comparisons, other things that lasted about that length of time. Surprisingly, the original Battlestar Galactica TV series only lasted seven months. But goodness gracious, we hung on to it forever, right? Yeah, yeah. Misfits of Science only lasted five months. Maybe me and David Gallagher are the only ones who care about that, but that's okay. I, I, I watched it. I watched it. There we go. But these things are permanently emblazoned in my mind, just like this era of Marvel team-up. So I'm super excited about it. Again, this all happened right at the same time I became a comic collector. So I started with Secret Wars issue number two, which came out the month after this. So, I mean, I'm... I'm right here where I was at the beginning of Collector, and I'm so excited to do this with you. Thank you so much. Secret Wars number two was also my first Secret Wars issue. Uh, it was kind of spotty for me, uh, you know, that, that particular series. I, I missed a couple of issues in there. And for Marvel Team Up, my first Marvel Team Up was actually the one with Wonder Man versus the Mauler, which is a little bit before this. Okay. But I always feel like, no, I have this issue, I have this issue, that issue. No, no, I just remember it from on the stands because I would mm. always peruse the Team Up books and then not have enough money to necessarily get them. But I was always intrigued at who was the guest star of whatever these books were. So eventually, when I started buying some some Spider-Man, I think my Spider-Man series was kind of was Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider-Man. Sure. But I was also getting some uh, Marvel team up and I bought the, the tail end, the very mm. tail end. So even after this. So we're going to get there, though, in just a few months. Well, be more than a few months, but we will get there. And the cool thing about this for me, why this was my Spider-Man book, was, first of all, availability, obviously, when you're a kid, but because I could always get more than just one character. You know, I love getting multiple characters as a kid, and this was the way to do it with Spider-Man. And so every month I was getting introduced to characters I'd probably never seen before. Like, I think this is probably 
my introduction to Black uh, Widow, this issue. I was the same where at the beginning, I was only buying team books. So Spider-Man, I wasn't buying Spider-Man because it's just one guy. I just <laughs> wanted more and more and more. So uh, <laughs> so, Mar- so the team-up books were a way, yes, to get some of these solo stars. Uh, and then, you know, at, at some point, I'm buying everything that is a team book. And I'm starting, okay, well, I'm going to start getting some of these solo books and oh, look what I've been missing. <laughs> right. uh, so yeah, so I know that I went from Marvel Team Up to Web of Spider-Man when that switched over. It's not the same, not at all. But you know, Web of Spider-Man was kind of the Spider-Man book I could get on from the beginning. That's a well, that's a story for another day. But just interesting how that book started off at such a height and then never managed yeah. to maintain it. It's just uh, wow. Yeah. So let's talk about this issue. We're talking about Spider-Man and Black Widow. And what we'll usually do, the show's changed a little bit, but it's much the same as it used to be. We preface with reasons why we like the guest character. So, Shag, what's so great about the Black Widow? Well, she's smoking hot, for starters. Yeah. I mean, there's no denying that. Terribly sorry, folks. It, and my name is Irredeemable Shag. It's right there in the name. Gorgeous redhead, insanely sexy. But that's not the really why I love her. The reason I love her is the espionage. So for me, I love the whole, like, who can you trust kind of stories, right? Uh, Queen and Country is a great example of that. Uh, uh, Greg Rucka book. So you combine espionage with superheroes. That's awesome. I love that she's a normal human, that she doesn't have any powers. You know, it's, she's just a, an astonishing fighter, and she's got all these cool gadgets, you know? Kind of like Spider-Man man with the web line and the, but then she's got stun gauntlets all that stuff i also like her attitude she's not necessarily nice to people you know she'll she's nice when she needs to be but she has no problem being rude to somebody's face also one of my, one of my absolute favorite characters in the world is daredevil so she's got a great history with daredevil and then here's one of the big clincher for, for me is when i started reading avengers i always come into books at a weird period i came into the avengers during the brown jacket era which a lot of people i know i you, i didn't even get to say people make fun of it. You burst out laughing. Look at that. However, that was when I started reading Avengers, and she was the team leader. So in my Avengers DNA, the short-haired Black Widow with a gray bodysuit, that is the leader of the Avengers for me. So uh, I, I absolutely adore her for that. Wow. Mm-hmm. What about you? Yeah, I have to agree that I like Spycraft as well, which is why I've enjoyed Black Widow's more recent comics. Mm-hmm. Been more like that than the era where she's uh, Daredevil's girlfriend and partner and right, such. Right. Uh, to, to me, she should be a super spy. I mean, that's the that's the attraction there. That's the what makes her different from other characters. Exactly. Uh, rather than just another superhero, even though I do enjoy her in the movies or she's part of the Avengers, you can still tell. Okay, no, she's a Shield agent in that, and she's a like a, an agent that is a femme fatale. And her own movie was based in spycraft and spy stuff. So that's why I like Black Widow. I like that she's that corner of the Marvel Universe that other characters do not dare go into. Right. And we'd see snippets of it in the films, like in the beginning of Avengers, when she's tied up and you think she's I love being, that. Yeah, you think she's being beaten up, but in reality, she's got the whole thing under control. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's, those little glimmers are like, that's what I want to see. That's the Blackwood I want to see. So let's talk a little bit about her publication history. You mentioned the, the part where you showed up to the party. Right. Uh, <laughs> but it starts in the 60s. So take us through the first few decades. Sure thing. So she debuted in Tales of Suspense number 52, which was April 1964. That's how long she's been around. Almost as long as Spider-Man. I mean, that's that's a long time. So she was created by, at that point, the editor and the plotter of the story was Stanley. The scripter was Don Rico, and the artist was Don Heck. So that's your creators there. So when she was introduced, she was introduced as an antagonist of Iron Man. And in those early, and this is something I learned, by the way, in the research. I didn't know this part. In those early appearances, she didn't even wear a costume. I, I, I didn't know that. I didn't know at first she was costumeless. Uh, she was just this reoccurring antagonist in her role as a Russian spy. Now, during this time, she's also responsible for the introduction of another important comic book character when she recruited an ally to help her battle Iron Man. It was a certain purple archer who uh, had a tremendous crush on her at the time. Mm -hmm. So in further adventures, the Russian government does supply her with her first Black Widow costume and her high-tech weaponry. Eventually, though, she defects to the United States. She joins S.H.I.E.L.D. and allies herself with the Avengers, eventually becoming a member of the team. Now, if we're talking purely publication-wise, she was probably most active, uh, at least until the more recent years, from 1970 to 1978. She was pretty much in publication all the time at that point. She starred in her own strip uh, for eight issues in this title called Amazing Adventures. She had a strip within there that went for about a year. Then she immediately became a co-star in Daredevil for 44 issues. That was from 1971 to 1975. They even rebranded it as Daredevil and Black Widow. And then, once she left there, she immediately went to join the Champions, which was a superhero team that lasted 17 issues. And she even functioned as the leader. And that carries her from 1975 to 1978. 
Then in the 1980s, she shows up all over the place, right? You know, with S.H.I.E.L.D. or the Avengers. She's even in her own books uh, or, or tales, sort of like in Marvel Fanfare or Solo Avengers and stuff like that. But she doesn't have a major spotlight. Then, and this kind of hints to what I was talking about earlier, in the early, early 90s, Black Widow was an active member of the Avengers, serving as Captain America's second in charge. Now, when Cap leaves the team, she steps up and becomes team leader. And it serves in that role for three years she was the team leader. And as I mentioned, yes, obviously that is the Brown Jacket Avengers era. So, Siskoid, what does she do after that? Well, not much. <laughs> <laughs> not much happens to the Widow in the 90s. But after that, she starts appearing again at like the really tail end of that decade. And she gets the first of several miniseries. Woohoo! This one that introduces Yelena. Now one of the MCU's big stars. And uh, and speaking of the MCU, her appearances in Avengers and S.H.I.E.L.D.-related comics at the start of the 2000s probably helped cement her use in the Marvel movies, starting with Iron Man 2 in 2010 and culminating in her getting a belated solo film in 2021. And uh, movie fame translates into many comics projects for her over the last 12 years, ensuring that she always has a series or a miniseries on the stands for most of that. The current Black Widow title is Volume 8, Jeez. just to show. Not all of them were monthly series. Some of, some of them were miniseries, but her course has been directed by such writers as Nathan Edmondson, Mark Wade, Kelly Thompson, and even, this was, uh, this was fun to find out, Canadian horror cult icons, the Soska Sisters, whose only movie I can really recommend is American Mary. But, <laughs> but they're the, these, this pair of horror directors and actors from uh, out west i guess i kind of want to see what that black widow comic is like <laughs> because it's probably on marvel unlimited check it out buddy there's a ton of black widow stuff out there i imagine because she became a movie star you know so and i was fascinated to find like in your quick synopsis of her career how much of that was in the movies mm -hmm. you know it's always interesting you say, oh well they readapted it they changed it they, they modernized it oh no she still has like this partnership with hawkeye she still worked for shield before she became an avenger that is all part of her actual history so it's actually more on model than you'd think first appearance connected to iron man i mean the only thing we didn't really get was uh scarlett johansson and charlie cox together but you know i guess it could happen in a flashback someday but probably not that was the first time that i ever met her i think is actually daredevil comics denny o'neill was writing it uh, in between the two frank miller eras or something okay. yeah yeah and um and i had a friend we would share i say friend not really friend but because we had different comics collections we would share them he poached a lot of my spider-man comics from this <laughs> era because that's what he was primarily collecting so i don't mm -hmm. have those comics anymore anyways he lent me all his daredevils and so i read that whole run and that's where i met the gray suited black widow and then I think I've read some champions in French translation, but uh, and she would have been in that, but uh, yeah, I can't be sure. Well, for me, it was here, and then Avengers didn't come till many years later for me. So really, in the interim, the only place I would bump into her would be like uh, the Marvel role-playing game. Because like they always would put her stats out there because she was this accomplished fighter. So it was a, an example of a kind of template of a martial artist. So a lot of my experience was simply the Marvel role-playing game with her. There you go. Okay, so this comic. Woohoo! Where were you when the lights went out? Written by Bill Mantlo and Tom DeFalco with art by Ron Friends and Mike Esposito. Let me walk you through the first part of a synopsis. One night in New York City, the lights go out, and in one of its ghettos, looters pull a smash and grab on a pawn shop. Spider-Man arrives on the scene, lighting it up with his spider signal, and tries to make the looters give their stolen goods back or face jail. He gets that they're poor and desperate, but it seems like the pawnbroker is just as desperate. As the looters are about to give up, the panicked man pulls out a shotgun, the situation gets tense, and Spider-Man is unable to save him from getting shot. By daylight, the city has its power back, and Matt Murdock has had to break his lunch date with the Black Widow to help defend the dozens of looters arrested in the night. She decides to show some moral support by meeting him at the courthouse. Matt is in fact defending the man who is accused of killing the pawnbroker. But how did the police identify and apprehend him so quickly when Spider-Man failed to? That's what Peter Parker is wondering. He's there as the photographer assigned to Ben Urich. The accused claims he didn't do it. Could it be a frame-up by his former gang? Matt Murdock, human lie detector, believes him. An unsympathetic judge sets the trial date at a week from today, leaving Daredevil little time to get evidence in the kid's defense, especially with all the other clients he now has. So, the Black Widow offers to find that evidence for him, and Peter Parker takes the hint as well. 
as Spider-Man. I'll take it from here. So while tracking down the gang, Spider-Man and Black Widow find themselves both on the same trail. So they agree to team up, which is kind of strange they did it without any fighting. It's a very novel approach in a superhero comic. But anyway, (laughs) uh, our heroes burst into the gang's seedy apartment to find tons of stolen merchandise from the pawn shop. And one of the gangsters, uh, I'm just going to call him Lil Mohawk because he doesn't have a name here. Uh, He makes a run for it. And they suspect he's in possession of the gun that murdered the pawn shop owner. Well, Black Widow mops up the gang members in the apartment. Spider-Man chases Lil Mohawk. So the gang member carjacks a family sedan, driving off with a young girl held hostage. The Spidey pursues them into Central Park and accidentally startles the gang member, which sends the car off the bridge into a lake. Now, as the car sinks below the surface, Spider-Man manages to rescue the young girl and Lil Mohawk and recovers the firearm they suspect killed the pawn shop owner. Now, while Black Widow is hopeful that this is going to clear the innocent young man wrongfully accused of murder, Spider-Man still blames himself for the pawn shop owner's death. The next day, Spider-Man finds himself strangely drawn to Central Park, where a giant futuristic building has appeared. Spider-Man's compelled to enter and disappears in a burst of light. Where did he go? Check out Secret Wars number one for details, folks. Now, finally, back in the Manhattan Criminal Court, the police lab has determined the recovered gun was not used in the murder of the pawn shop owner. That means the wrongly accused young man is still the main suspect in the murder case. So Daredevil and Black Widow plan to find the real murderer because Daredevil always keeps his promises. That's what he says at the end. So does Daredevil really keep his promises? I'm just thinking, if you're Matt's girlfriend, uh, he pretty much breaks all the promises, and you're probably going to end up dead. But anyway, that's the end of the issue. (laughs) Daredevil doesn't, but Matt Murdock always does. Right, exactly. (laughs) So what do you think, man? Well, this was uh, an odd one in terms of, you know, how much of of a team-up it is. Right, right. (laughs) There's so much Daredevil in this, so who is going to be, obviously, the next guest star? Spoilers! And Marvel Team-Up would do this a lot, where they would find a way to make a continued story by introducing one character in the issue and make them the player in the next one. It's it's a clever formula. It works well. Nevertheless, I did like it. I thought there was some some fun dialogue, some fun scripting, narration, and uh, and there's a lot packed into these issues. I mean, with Bill Mantle, uh, you can sort of expect that there's a lot of story in there, usually, unless he's he's forced to do a lot of recaps, which was uh, maybe... Something that happened a lot in Rom Space Night, for example. <laughs> hey, I got to say thank you. I mean, I got invited for Marvel Team Up, Spider-Man, Black Widow, and Bill Mantlo all in one book together. I'm in heaven. This is amazing. What do you think of the uh, cover by Ed Hannigan and Klaus Janssen? These aren't the artists that are inside. It is super striking. I mean, it is really, really well done. It's all the spider signal, right? That's the whole shot. It's all Spider-Man's signal up against a wall, and you see Black Widow sitting on a, on a line balancing, you know, almost like a spider on a web, really, and all the hoods underneath her. I think it's a really, really striking image. The only thing that ever bothered me is... There's no polite way to say it. Her pose is not exactly uh, demure. Let's just put it that way. That always bothered me as a kid. As an adult, not as much. But as a kid, it, it was hard not to notice. Okay. Because she's sort of spread-legged? Yeah. I mean, it's really in your. It's really wide in your face, kind of. And like the artist took the time to draw the curve of the bottom and everything. And Anyway, mm. it's just mm-hmm. a lot to take in. What's weird to me is the spider patch. Because here it's like it seems like it's... Empty and then colored. I mean, it's colored red because the whole thing is red. But it's like it's a colored decal rather than a dark spider, which normally it is. The spider boob. So the, <laughs> I'm just getting this from the girls on Hot More Not. The boob spider, I believe they called it. The right. boob spider uh, normally is black. Yes, okay. But here it's colored. You know, it's like it's the reverse. So I thought it was always a little bit weird. I think it's because the bright red light is so bright that it's just washing out everything. And red tends to wash out all colors anyway. So, I don't know. Maybe it's shiny. It could be. It like, could we be. see it as black, but it's it's actually shiny. So, when you shine the light on it, it would, like, you know, reflect light, which would scare villains or something. I'm glad the girl said that, by the way. Because I, in my notes, I also say, best incorporation of a boob since Supergirl's costume with the S-shield on her on her breast. So, I, I love this the way this costume is designed. I think it's a very clever design. Does the spider signal appear all that often in Spider-Man comics? I think in this time it did. Yeah, I love it. I think it's really cool. I, I mean, it's not like a Batman signal because that goes in the sky, right? I mean, that goes yeah. in the sky to call Batman. This one is Spider-Man shines it down on people to, like, you know, put fear into them. To They're like, uh-oh, you know, I'm busted. So I, I think it's very effective usage here. I remember seeing it a lot in this time period. But, I, yeah. you know, I didn't read all the Spider-Man comics. So maybe I just saw it in the ones I read. Yeah, well, if we start getting into the black costume era, he doesn't have the, the signal 
with that suit. Good point. Good point. Yeah, so maybe it was on its way out or something. This is like its last hurrah. But the cover is super striking. I mean, it's really down to the uh, cover design. It's down to where the characters are placed, the use of the signal. I think Hannigan, who used to design a lot of the covers for Marvel uh, in DC for a while, actually, to, to lay... What am I trying to say? The layout for them. I think it's a super striking cover. It's super effective. And obviously, it drew me to go right back to the store and buy this issue. I think what really works well is that she's actually hanging on one of her lines. She could be on a clothesline or something. But because of the spider signal, it's almost like those lines are part of the the webbing, mm-hmm. the, the mask webbing. So it's, it's a, uh, an optical illusion to it. Still, I wish there were a little more color to it. Really? That, on my copy, the red isn't red enough. Okay. I guess. It, it looks like orangey or something. So I feel like it. maybe it's washed out after all this time. I don't know. Well, I, I love the See, I think the color is brilliant because they also colored her collar and her face in all whites and pinks. So and to make it stand out. I I think if you put this on the shelf next to, I don't know, an Avengers and a Defenders and a Spectacular Spider-Man, this one's going to jump out. Because you don't see an all red cover very often. I mean, the only one I can remember besides this that ran this time is that Star Wars cover, the Pariah cover. Then that was also another one of my favorite. Maybe I just like red covers. I don't know. But that yeah. was another one that everyone remembered from Star Wars as well. So I think it's super effective, and you're clearly just wrong. Well, one of the nice touches, I think, is the corner box with the head of Spider-Man and the head of Black Widow also has that the white light yeah. accent coming from the same... Because it could easily have been just your standard box in white with you know with the faces colored in normally. Uh, and then that would have taken away from that red effect. Yeah. All right, well, let's get inside this thing. It starts with a blackout. This is written in 1984, okay? But really, what this is sort of referencing is a major blackout that happened in 1977 in New York City. Now, there's other blackouts, but that one was famous for the amount of violence and looting. So like 1,600, I looked up the data on it, 1,600 stores were damaged and looting, 1,000 fires. All told, there were 3,776 people arrested during that blackout. And a lot of them were stuffed into overcrowded jail cells, precincts, all anywhere they could find a place to hold people, which is what happens here. You know, a large number of people get arrested and Matt's having to arraign, you know, hundreds of people. Now, there are other in fact, in 1983, there was another big blackout all over part of the city, over like the Garment District. So maybe that helped inspire this. I don't know. But that that's what this feels like it's a reference to is the famous 1977 blackout. Yeah, especially with all the the people in jail and Matt Murdock being mm-hmm. overworked. And so I wasn't sure like, okay, is that what would happen? But apparently that is what would happen. And it's not the only blackout story that, that's appeared in Spider-Man because I know also that Lightmaster was a mort. <laughs> <laughs> he also caused a full blackout in New York City, and probably that was another reference to these events. They keep coming back to it. New York, the uh, well, not, not the city of lights, but the reverse. <laughs> All these writers live there too, so I mean, you know, yeah. And I like how they do it. Like they put the title in the, you know, where were you in white over a lit city when the lights went out and it's completely black. Uh, and, it's really and then effective. credits. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, I don't think that's what that was the plan originally. Really? Because, well, page two is a splash page with lots of space to put the credits and the uh, title. I see what you mean. It's just a guy running with a TV. There's there's room in the sky. There's room on the sides. There's plenty of room to put all the graphics. Huh. But somebody must have had the idea, maybe the letterer, maybe the editor, maybe whoever. They had the idea to do it within the first page, you know, in panels. Even the credits are like sort of rolling like in a movie, mm-hmm. you know, separately in different panels. So that's a, that's a cool idea. But then it also means that the first splash page is a little ordinary. That's true. It could be that they, that's what the letterer was going for, was the movie effect. That's interesting. Huh. About the credits real quick. You know, we've got Bill Mantlo and Tom DeFalco on this issue together, which is sort of interesting. And I looked back at the history. So apparently for the past year, this title has just been a revolving door of people. You know, they went through, uh, in just the last 12 months, they've gone through J.M. DiMatteis, Bill Mantlo, David Michelini, Mike Carlin, Tom DeFalco, and Carrie Burkett. And it's going to continue this way through the end of the run, where again, it's just going to be a revolving door of writers. They just couldn't seem to keep one writer on this title, which is kind of surprising. And yet... The quality is also maintained, which is also a, a real testament to the fact they can do that. I wonder if they really needed to, because if you're doing different characters, different team-ups, who do you want to do? Who do who, you know? Uh, could be. And, and sort of have it be a showcase for writers as much as it is a showcase for characters. Hmm. 
in that those first couple pages is also where I find some of the fun scripting because I like the narration in this. I think it's a little snarky. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, and, and like in those first pages, it will, you've got the characters, the police are activated. And they say, um, it's a jungle out there. And then the next page, the narration says, indeed. Okay, and I got, see what and you, you mean. Got the yeah. And there's, there's stuff like that going through. The the pawnbroker, he goes, who ca-, you know, isn't there anyone who can stop you? Anyone who cares? And then you get a big, yes, as Spider-Man shows up in the caption box. You're right. Yeah, there's always like a reaction. Uh, there's one place somebody says, so try. And then, then the, the narration says, the gang tries. They are less than successful. <laughs> so, you know, so there's like a, the narrator is Stan Lee-esque, you know, uh, in, in the way that he's active and he's looking at this story and he's telling it. Or from Arrested Development based on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we also see here the beginning of, okay, it's the night. So the coloring is going to be very dark. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, you really need... Here it's George Russo's. Is it the same George Russo's who was part of Bob Kane's studio back in the 40s? I don't know. I Maybe. don't know. I mean, George Russo's. Not that common a name. Anyway, if it is, he was one of the anchors on one of the ghost artists for Bob Kane back in the day. Ah, uh, okay. He has to do like a lot of dark purples and blues and 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 that has to contrast with Spider-Man shooting his signal and even the dark Spider-Man suit looks good. You know, it's, yeah. like the, it's like more of a darker cherry. And, and it's interesting. Everybody, everybody is in single color except for Spider-Man. Everyone is a dark blue, whether it's an indigo or a dark blue or whatever. Everyone is one single color except for Spider-Man, who, like you said, has those muted reds, which really makes you feel like, you know, you feel the, the, the impressiveness of night or you feel the shadows creeping on on you. Yeah, you can really feel it. And yeah. it's a great scene, too. I mean, just when the prom broker gets shot, and I mean, Spider-Man, how upset he is, it's so powerful. And with the camera is pulling out, mm-hmm. as, as and then the, we see the cop cars come in, and Spider-Man by that time has left because... Actually, no, he's still there. He's, he's the, is he? He's, yeah, he's on the ground holding the... Or he's next to the pawnbroker. If you look as it keeps zooming out, he's the little dark figure on the right. He has a pretty good relationship with the cops at this point, if we go by also the end, which we'll get to. Yeah, I was going to say, there's something at the end that definitely uh, suggests that. This is classic Spider-Man, because he's got to be angsty about it. Somebody died on his shift. He tried to stop it. Pretty good action, but also he's trying to be the the diplomat, you know? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't quite work. I don't know quite how to, other than having someone go back and tell them to go read it. But yeah, I mean, Spider-Man's just telling her, just go home, guys. This isn't worth it. You know, this shouldn't, you know, this doesn't need to happen. He's really trying to be the voice of reason here. Uh, and then the violence just escalates. And um, I don't know, it, it, it struck a chord in me uh, of how realistic things escalate out of control very quickly. And uh, I don't know, this one kind of resonated with me. Yeah, it's not one of these big epic stories, but it is, it's grounded Mm-hmm. Something like a little gritty, and and even when the the, the other superheroes show up, it's still not going to be. It's not Thor and Iron Man, you know. It, it's going to be ground level yeah. heroes. Um, so our first shot of Black Widow on page six. I, I'm surprised to me because in my memory, Black Widow's wearing a gray bodysuit, right? She should be. Okay, so it's not just. So I didn't know if it changed at some point because remember this is the first time I ever saw Black Widow, but in here it's dark blue. Uh, it's almost, it looks like maybe the colorist was trying to represent her old costume, you know, like that black leathery mm. one that they would accent with blue, maybe. I don't know. I thought it was supposed to be gray, and here it's clearly dark blue. It's much grayer by page 12. Oh, okay. Well, so it's still, you know, you might still register it as a sort of blue. Oh, yeah. But, you're right. But, it, but look at this page. It's the same blue as the concrete criminal court building. Mm-hmm. The building's not blue. Right. It's meant to be a dark gray and yeah. I think that's what they were trying to go for. Let's not forget that this is the Jim Shooter era. Everyone was on orders to do as many one-color washes as possible. That's true. To yeah. make sure you you know, you know hit your, your deadlines. Yep. I mean, we're looking at that picture. No, Black Widow shouldn't be in blue, nor should the building in the bag be pink. You know, Or <laughs> just, yellow. Or yellow. Or, <laughs> right, <know>. right. We <laughs> understand that. That it means the sunlight is hitting it. It's daylight, you know. <laughs> and it's comics. Come on. It's supposed to be fun. Nice clouds, though. Yeah, I was just noticing that. At first, I thought that was the curvature of the Earth, and then I realized it's just wispy clouds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. New York is in orbit, and <laughs> you got the planet in the back. And uh, and this is, okay, so this is an, an interesting thing for me, because Matt Murdock, at this point in his career, is working for legal aid. I mean, that, that's a very Matt Murdock thing to do. Right. Picking clients who can't pay for... 
uh, normal advocacy, he shows up and he's legal aid. He's going to represent people who can't afford lawyers. And uh, my mom worked for legal aid. Really? Okay. Well, not as a lawyer, obviously. Uh, she was a secretary and she worked for legal aid for quite a long time. So I remember hearing a lot of stories about this office and and uh, like in, in our small town, about 12,000 people, there's only one lawyer. So Matt mm. Murdock, there's one Matt Murdock working for this and then a secretary and that was it. So my mom was Karen Page. Right. And uh, <laughs> I guess, I guess. I hope it ended better for her, but okay. I learned about legal aid at a pretty early age because of this. I would have been covered if I ever were accused of a crime. Oh, all right. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> You know, thinking about Matt at this point, and you know, if anyone's listening that's a, more of a daredevil expert, I apologize. I maybe I'm getting myself wrong here, but I think this is after Born Again. Boy, I hope I don't have that wrong. So Matt's career pretty much had been destroyed, and he was having to do clinic and, and pro bono work and helping people out. So this would be in line with that. Again, I may have my years wrong. I'm not entirely sure about that. He's always been a man of the people. Exactly. You know? And of course, because he's a human lie detector. I mean, I'm sure he defends people who are guilty, but he can know if the person is guilty or not. So yep. at least for us who, you know, maybe we think, the the reader, maybe we think, well, he shouldn't be defending people who are actually criminals or killers. Or um, He seems to be picking cases. I mean, I'm sure he's representing everyone equally, but he can pick a case or champion a case based on the actual truth of what, at least what the person thinks is the truth. And I mean, this, this is pretty much straightforward stuff for a Daredevil story, though. I mean, this oh, yeah. is this is absolutely what happens in every Daredevil story where there's uh, Matt Murdock doing a law case involved. So this is, you know, par for the course type of stuff. And I mean, we get the lie detector beeping, you know, effect, which we always get with Daredevil. It looks so good, too. You know, we immediately recognize that that's what that is. Because mm -hmm. it could be many things when you think about it. <laughs> so this kid is falsely accused. And, uh, you know, for a while there, it's a Daredevil story. And there, there is this scene where Ben Urich is there. Peter Parker's been assigned to him. And Daredevil decides, or Matt Murdock decides, not only is he going to give Black Widow the mission to find out more, because he's, he's kind of strapped here for time, but he also gives it to Spider-Man. Because he recognizes that the kid there is Spider-Man. He recognizes, quote, this guy's bursting with incredible power. Mm -hmm. What? How do you just standing next to someone and hearing their heartbeat and smelling, I don't know, their underarm or whatever, how could he just sense that he is bursting with power and must be Spider-Man? It's a ludicrous leap of logic. He can recognize people based on heartbeats. So the way it's described, I agree that, you know, maybe maybe Spider-Man's heart is like really strong. If he said heartbeat, that could be fine. But he says bursting with power. Yeah. Like what? What? Yeah. He should say bursting with amazing power if he's going to say it. But anyway. He's getting vibes off of him. Uh, but this is interesting because they don't yet know each other's identities. Right. They will fairly soon. Spectacular Spider-Man number 110, cover date January 86. So it's like a couple years, a year yep. and a half. And then they're going to know each other's identities. But at this point, it's like, well, I recognize Spider-Man, but I'm not going to say anything because also his profile is like he's dressed in normal clothes, but he doesn't get to hear the names Peter Parker. So he can't make that, you know, that leap necessarily already. And later, Peter makes the same leap back. He's like, hey, that Matt Murdock guy was hanging out with uh, the Black Widow. Maybe he's Daredevil. Like, what? Again? The, you just immediately assume a blind guy is Daredevil because he knows the same person? Again, leaps of logic. But it is sort of fun to watch this room, though, because in this room, you've got Matt Murdock, you've got Ben Garrick, you've got Black Widow, and you've got Peter Parker. A again, everyone's in plain clothes. Everyone in the room, with the exception of Peter, knows he that Matt Murdock is Daredevil. And yet, none of them... I don't think know that each other knows. It's like a little game of like who knows what and who doesn't kind of thing. All oh, right, because Ben Urich knew at this point. Yep, I need to go back and do some Daredevil rereading, don't I? Apparently. Also, I find I do find it strange that uh, Matt Murdock would send two heroes to do this business who may or may not know that they have to cooperate. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, he didn't make it clear, did he? <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, I'm going to send Spider-Man to help Natasha. Uh, maybe she's going to resent that. I don't know. But she's she's a player here. She really is like, okay, hey, you've got this to do. Let me do this and let me do this for you. And she's really being a good superhero girlfriend. Right. You know, and then it's night again because that's the moon, I guess. And <laughs> and maybe that's why her costume is darker suddenly. It's still supposed to be blue, and now it looks gray because it's dark. I don't know. By the way, I, I just did the research. I had to find out. We're actually, uh, it looks like a couple of years before Born Again. Okay. So, whoops. It's in the in-between. Yeah, because 
It has to be, you're right, because this is the interim where Denny O'Neill was writing Daredevil yep. and Black Widow was back in the picture. Uh, I don't know that Black Widow was back in the picture. She was in that, that series, I remember. I'm going through the covers. I'm not seeing it, but that's okay. Yeah, I think the trade paperback is called something like Love and Something or something. All right. Oh, there she Yep, you're right. Issue 217, Black Widow's back in. Okay. So, uh, yeah, but this is uh, a couple years before Born Again. So my mistake. Sorry, folks. Page 12. We're with Black Widow and Spider-Man accosts her again with the symbol. The, the, <laughs> the light up you gotta signal. you gotta quit knocking the spider single man it's badass i love it it's fun but also is this how you're gonna say hi to a fellow oh he doesn't know it's her right? he didn't he, know it's her like, he turns it on he's like hey you in the shadows oh hey i know you yeah it's somebody skulking around and it's it's rubble so i'm thinking lower east side new york at that time and a lot of rubbly buildings you see them in in 1970s movies for example there's always like demolition going on or something mm -hmm. and so that must be the slum in this story i pretty easily to decide to team up on this no fight just team up right away which is so disappointing in the marvel in the marvel scheme of things but that's okay <laughs> they don't have time we spent all that time at the courthouse yep there's no room for a fight i do like that once they start spinning around he imagines her as black cat who he was teaming up with at the time as far as uh, like a, a lady partner. Yeah, well, it's the perfect sort of uh, dangle the subplots. Remember, you know, Spider-Man's got a life outside of this book, folks. So yeah, there's more going on. You should be checking it out. So I like that that's in there. I think that was the reason I was reading Peter Parker's Spectacular Spider-Man because that was the series where they explored that relationship. Peter David was writing that, I think, if I remember right. Oh my God, was he? Because I lost all those issues to that friend, quote unquote. That issue you keep referencing where Spider-Man and Daredevil meet each other, that's written by Peter David. Okay, that must be right then. So they, they follow the trail and they find these uh, looters, at least. We don't know if any of them are necessarily the murderer. They just barge in. And now, admittedly, they know that the stolen merchandise is there. They hear the guys admit that. But they just barge in and start demanding, you know, uh, or Spider-Man barges and starts demanding a, a confession. Because the guys have all the TVs set up and watching many channels at once or something. <laughs> and there's a guy and a girl in a chair making out. The thing I want to point out is this fight right here with these hoods, this is the only team up in the whole book. Like between Spider-Man and Black Widow. It's just these two to three pages. That's it. It's one little short gang fight where they surprise these guys. There's nowhere else to Black Widow and Spider-Man. I mean, they stand around and talk to each other some, but this is it for actual fighting in, in any way, shape, or form in the issue. So it's not a whole lot of Marvel team-up going on in Marvel team-up. No, because even when they start chasing little Mohawk, <laughs> as you call him, we see her, she's in the sky, yep. but then, uh, then Spider-Man gets to do some action, but she doesn't. We'll get to that. For now, I think there's a, like an art mistake that really bothered me. Yeah, uh, when 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 little Mohawk has jumped out the window and he's running for that car with that family, the car is initially drawn with something on the top, as uh, if it were a taxi cab. Yeah, and maybe that made the colorist paint it yellow, like a yellow cab, and then it doesn't have that thing on the on the top anymore. So it's it's just supposed to be a normal yellow sedan uh, uh. for the rest. But at first, it's like, okay, well, is the guy driving? With a gun to his head, the cabbie? You know what? The more I look at this, that would actually make more sense. Because the woman and the child are like talking to him through the window. Then they get out and they're like, it's almost like the woman and the man are not independently together. You know, the way the discussion's going. And the man's not saying, give me back my daughter. Only the woman is. So I think you're right. I think it's supposed to be a taxi the whole way through. Okay. Yeah. So it's a weird art mistake. In any case, what a situation. Oh, oh that. I mean... Just as a parent, you know, maybe just being an adult, whatever, the whole idea of this guy carjacking the sedan and keeping the little girl, I mean, it's terrifying to me. Absolutely terrifying. It must be. Especially the way this turns out, because I find that Spider-Man is rather reckless. Again, he uses the spider signal to scare the, like, puts it in the front of the road while the car is driving through Central Park. You got to get over that, man. <laughs> and it, well, he makes the car, it's not the signal, the problem, but he makes the car veer off into the lake. He stopped the bad guy, but he's got to rescue the little girl and to his credit also rescues little Mohawk. 
So uh, so he saves both of them and then goes back into the water to get the gun. Now, this is the place where maybe Black Widow should have had something to do. Yeah, she really could have. She could have helped maybe save the girl or go back and get the gun or something. Yeah, because you're right. She still shows up there. So clearly she's en route to Central Park to join him. But yeah, she doesn't get to do anything. So this is an opportunity where I feel like... They, I don't feel like she got used to her fullest advantage in this story. There really could have been more with her. Though I gotta say, Spider-Man with a blanket and a coffee... <laughs> I love that. I love so, it. Yeah, the cops have given him the blanket and the coffee after jumping in the cold river. So I think that's adorable. It also shows that he's got a good relationship with the cops right now. And how is he drinking that coffee? Uh, carefully. Maybe the fil- the mask is a filter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you can drink through a sock. Right. Oh, my <laughs> God. What an analogy. Thanks, man. I don't want to know what happens at your house. <laughs> well, certainly not drinking through a mask, although we've all had that opportunity in the past two years. That is true. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and then so, okay, so they say goodbye. Spider-Man really blames himself for the death of the pawnbroker still. He thinks now that at least the gun is going to track back to Little Mohawk and that uh, it's going to absolve Matt Murdock's client. But now he's getting, he's also getting, you know, we're quickly, okay, no, now we need that Secret Wars tie-in. Right, exactly. So he's got to leave real fast. He's getting these migraines. He's been getting them for a while. And he feels compelled to enter the Beyonder's big machine, etc. That's that's actually more than a page that we need to devote to that. Well, I, I looked up, the art here seems sort of different uh, on page 20. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I looked, I thought, oh, did they just repurpose the same page from Amazing Spider-Man 251? Because in all of the Spider-Man books, from what I understand, he went through the same portal, right? They showed it go in each one of the Spider-Man books. I looked up digitally the Amazing Spider-Man 251, and that actually is spread across two pages. This is new artwork. However, it looks almost as if it was traced or redrawn. I mean, it's, it, the bushes are in the same place. The building, every piece of the building is is in the same place. It's just a new drawing of it. So clearly the artist sat here with the pages from Amazing Spider-Man 251 and redrew each one of these panels. I mean, Spider-Man jumps down. It's a little bit different landing, but yeah, it's all the same exact stuff. The dialogue is exactly the same, except for one letter, which you're going to mention, but it is, it is completely <laughs> redone. I couldn't get my hands on the, the Spectacular Spider-Man issue, so I don't know if it looks the same there, but I would assume it does. That's number 89 if anyone can can check it yeah it's it's not digital on marvel unlimited so i don't know mm. i'm betting that building somebody drew that building designed that building and then they you know shared it with every art team oh uh, yeah probably or something because everybody had to go through everybody that was involved in secret wars had to go through that gate yep so it's gonna kind of all look the same certainly not just the spider-man offices so, so you're telling me that in Amazing number two fifty one, they don't make the typo. They don't. There's no. no... I, I double checked it. They the typo is not there. Because <laughs> uh, this is the typo. You mentioned Star Wars earlier. George Lucas is mentioned in relationship to this building, and uh, it's written Lucas L U C U S <laughs> instead of E A S. So there's a little little blip here. To be fair, Lucasfilm was not a household name at that point. I mean, George Lucas was probably known by most people, but, you know, the, the spelling of it wasn't something pe- someone did a lot. They missed it anyways. And of course, this happens across all the Marvel books. And for Spider-Man, it happens three times, but it's all the same time, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and we're going to see him pop out of that gate, I guess in Amazing Spider-Man 252, but he'll have the black costume when he returns. Well, he also pops out in Marvel Team-Up as well. That's part of the reason I wanted to read it. Okay. All right. Yeah. So there's like this repeat of the scene across all the books all the time. Exactly. In case you're just reading one. Like little Shaggy. Well, little Siski doesn't... No, that doesn't work. Uh, <laughs> little Mikey, in my case, <laughs> was, uh, was also doing that. And then we get another page because this is going to send us towards the next issue of Marvel Team Up. Even though Spider-Man's story is over for now... Matt Murdock's is not, and uh, it's it's about the gun doesn't lead to the you know the kid has not been absolved after all, and Matt Murdock has to make that promise. And look, a bit of serpent. Oh yeah, that's a good point with Daredevil and Black Widow in in that 1980s fuchsia pink. <laughs> and they're gonna come back, uh, both of them, but this time we're gonna probably the team up. I don't know, I haven't read it yet, but the team up is gonna be a little more on Daredevil's shoulders than it was on Black Widow's. Well, it's it's more like Daredevil and Black Widow team up, and then Spider-Man shows up for part of it. So okay, I peeked ahead. I didn't read the whole thing, but I just sort of peek ahead because I was, I was too I was too excited. It's not too far from what we've seen here. Yeah. Any other thoughts 
before we get into our uh, our mini debates. No, no, I, I I do think it's funny. I, stupid things go through my head with superhero powers. Like you know, Spider Man, you know, he he webs all over the place, right? And we all know the web dissolves after you know however many minutes the story needs it to, right? Black Widow though, she's sending these cables all over the place to to whip all over the place, like. Is she just leaving dangling threads everywhere? Like, I got to wonder about that. I don't know what her web line is made of. I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know how that works. I mean, the Billy Club, I think, thinking Daredevil, you know, he can... Well, his is retractable. It, like, right. shoots and then comes back. Hers, I think she just pew, 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 shoots them everywhere. Unless they are retractable as well. We just don't see that moment. I guess. I don't I, know. Maybe. I don't know. If anyone knows. Or get out of the house more often and stop worrying about stupid things like this. <laughs> <laughs> there is that. But this is kind of, uh, you know comic book store conversation that we're having (laughs) who fared better many debates touching various topics we're keeping that in the show and the first question is how well this fits each of the stories or atmospheres is this a spider-man story or is it more of a black widow story well like i've said many times it's a daredevil story It absolutely is. You are not wrong. This is so much a Daredevil story. Because like, it's definitely not a Black Widow story. Because there's no espionage. There's no intrigue. It could kind of fit into a Spider-Man mold. You you were kind of explaining some ways it fit into a Spider-Man story with the death of the pawnbroker. But for me, that feels more like Daredevil. With the, uh, the pending criminal charges. The fighting the gangs. Where things go awry and people get killed. And, and, the, and the hero feels guilty. I mean, guilt is a major piece of Matt Murdock's you know, Catholic upbringing. It definitely feels more like a Daredevil story to me than any of the, either of the other characters. So you're saying like it's like Spider-Man walked into Hell's Kitchen? Yeah, yeah. And, that's what it feels into, like. Okay, okay. That's interesting. But yeah, I would give it to Spider-Man if the two choices are Black Widow and Spider-Man. It's Spider-Man because things happen near him, to him, and eventually... He kind of leaves her in the dust and and does all the action. Yeah, she doesn't really do anything in the issue anyway, so yeah. Next up, cool moves. In the past, each co-host would defend a certain character. That's not the case here anymore. So we look at each of the characters. So Spider-Man, what is his coolest move? And uh, if I go first this time, I'll say that, well, telling people to go home, that whole first scene where it's got some pretty good action, a good fight, but also just the fact that Spider-Man sees that it's... Like, the numbers are against him, that this situation needs to be defused, and he tries to be the the diplomat. I really like that from him. I mean, the line is great. He goes, well, I can understand that nobody likes to be poor. I know nobody likes to go to jail either. Why don't you all just go home? You know, he's trying to break it up without all this happening. So, yeah, I I totally agree. That is Spider-Man's best move. But since you picked that one, my I would pick the runner-up for me, which is when the car goes in the lake and he saves Lil' Home Mohawk and the girl and then goes back in to get the gun. I mean, he just doesn't stop. He just pushes himself and pushes himself to the limit. And I just, that's the second great moment, I think. Yeah, I think he can't let anyone else die on his shift. Yeah. Not even Lil' Mohawk. So Black Widow... Uh, I would say Black Widow's great moment is it's one panel. It, it, as I said, she doesn't get a lot to do in the issue, but in the one panel she does, she kicks the crap out of three gang members with one move. She kicks one in the face, backhands another one, and punches another one, all in just one quick move. So uh, it's one panel, and it looks great. That's her cool move. For me, I'm going to go earlier than that, around page um, 11, when she decides that she is going to take this from Matt, put it off his table so that he can concentrate on the lawyering. And I I feel like he's just missed a date with her. (laughs) She shows up, it's like, what's going on? You missed the date. You missed, you know, I was sitting in a restaurant somewhere, I guess. Well, you know, I've got all this business. She says, okay, well, leave that to me. And I I think that's a, you know, stand by your man kind of moment (laughs) where... Where if you're both superheroes in the relationship, you understand these pressures. They're not a couple, though, to be clear. They're not a couple. They're just friends at this point. They have been. They have been, exactly. They're exes. They're the kind of intimate friends that understand each other. So yeah, that's a great moment. Then there are some dumb or weird moves. (laughs) The the reverse. What do you think is Spider-Man's weakest move here? I think it's pretty reckless of him to go barging in on that gang. Like, they find the gang's hideout. And all they do is they they know that they've stolen some TVs. That's all they know. They go barging in and Spider-Man immediately demands a confession, like a coerced confession. We know that they looted, sure, but there's no sign of the guns, none of that. So I think it's pretty boneheaded on Spider-Man's part. Yeah. For me, it was making the car go into the drink. Uh, Like I said, I thought that was really reckless of him. Is there no other way to manage this situation. You're almost at the car, man. You are so hung up on that spider signal. He did not make that car go in the drink. He shined the light on there 
to distract the guy, not going, knowing the moron couldn't stay on a road that's like, I don't know, 20 feet wide and ends up going off the edge. That's not Spider-Man's fault. That is the little Mohawk's fault. Why do you need to distract him? Just get to the car, web up the tires or whatever, jump on the car, you know, rip off a... <laughs> Rip off a door. <laughs> there are so many. I mean, we've seen Spider-Man in car action before. This time is like it's almost causing the accident. Anyways, what about Black Widow? Well, you said she's standing by her man. I think that's her boneheaded move. Okay. Going to see Matt Murdock at the courthouse. I mean, she's publicly known because we know that because a guy recognizes her in the crowd. He's like, hey, that's Black Widow. You know, and <laughs> hanging around with Matt makes him look suspicious. And, you know... I'm sorry that he missed your lunch date, which is clearly, I think, what's really going on here is under the surface. She's miffed about it, but he's a little busy right now. Matt Murdock probably uses an, the excuse all the time that superheroes need lawyers or something. <laughs> he is lawyer to the superheroes very often. So yeah, that's Maybe true. You, could, you could always say that if somebody threw that in his face. I think, for me, it's it's got to be page 16... It starts with page 16, but basically letting Spider-Man call all the shots. Because mm. I don't think Spider-Man's making all the best decisions. Uh, and he's really putting her in the, on the back seat, so to speak. Because at the top of that page, he sa she says, I'll stop him with my widow's cable. And he said, no, it's too dangerous. You know, he might shoot this, that family or whatever. And then the guy takes that family hostage and eventually drops the, the woman out of the car. And, you know, that wasn't the best decision. And he also did not let Black Widow be a hero. You know, in the Central Park, he moves ahead of her. He does all the stuff and he's left her behind as well. So he's making all these decisions and not letting her be anything. So, hmm. But she's letting him do that. I'm not saying that that's his bonehead move, but she takes that backseat. I agree that that is a massive boneheaded move. I don't know that it's her boneheaded move. I think it's probably Bill Mantlo and Tom DeFalco's boneheaded move. <laughs> <laughs> Very often, it is the uh, the writer's fault. All right, finally, the friendly farewell. It's a team-up tradition. How does this one rate? Well, there's no goodbye, right? Like, I mean, Spider-Man bounds away. He's upset because the pawnbroker's dead, and he feels like he's blaming himself. Now, he does think the situation's resolved, but he doesn't say goodbye. He just takes off, and then he gets whisked away to another planet. So there is no goodbye, in my opinion. I mean, there is that moment between them, at least. It's not like she disappears from the story. So I do like that... I mean, this is a little bit of her role in this story, is to be supportive of the male heroes. Hmm. Yeah, whatever. But, but you know, like he puts it all on himself and she says, it wasn't your fault. You know, yeah. hold, don't hold yourself responsible for his death. And she's almost like shouting it because by that point he's, he's reached a tree. Yeah. But it's like she shows support in this situation. And of course, she would be used to this because th this woman used to date Matt Murdock, <laughs> a.k.a. guilt devil. Right, so, right. <laughs> it's like this This was probably a component of their relationship if it didn't lead to, to its end. You, you nailed it. It's, it's a daredevil story because this is the daredevil move to say, <laughs> even though it's resolved, to walk away with the guilt. People should listen to her more often. She, At this point, she'd already been the team leader of the champions, and she's not that far away from being leader of the Avengers. So, ugh. She's got this whole other life where, as a solo hero, that a lot of the pieces are we don't know about, or we'll only find out later when they do a lot of flashback stuff. She's not yet a big deal, is the thing, or she, she's been a bigger deal, and she's in the transition right now. Yeah. If this team up happened today, she would have a much bigger role. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. All right. We'll take a break for a couple of promos, then we'll be back with our special features. Imagine a podcast that celebrates the things we love. Why spend time being so angry and cynical about our fandoms? Join me, the Irredeemable Shag, for a show where we're just trying to be happy. The Once Upon a Geek Podcast. Our discussions focus on a variety of geeky subjects that we're passionate about. While the topics will be ever-changing, our focus will be on science fiction, comic books, what it means to be a geek in this world, and other nostalgia-fueled ideas. Life is short. Focus on the positive. Find your joy. The Once Upon a Geek Podcast, part of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. Coming soon from Amalgam Comics. She was raised in the Moscow Circus. She was trained by the shadowy Soviet organization known only as the Red King. But Natasha is red no more. As Blackbird gets her new number one issue, the fight against her former master and the mad science of the strange gremlin is about to begin. 
in comic stores behind the Iron Curtain this July. All right, if you're wondering about that Amalgam promo, um, that's not a Spider-Man Black Widow amalgam. No, I'm trying something new, which is to amalgamate the Kurt episode's guest star with the next episode's guest star. Can you guess who shows up next month based on the Amalgam promo? I'll give you more hints at the end, but that's what we're going to try to do for a while. Here's a uh, new feature that we're introducing, though, for the Marvel Team-Up segment of FW Team-Up. We call it Caught in the Web. You sound so angry. I know, it's not that sinister. <laughs> uh, it's where we discuss some of our favorite interactions between Spider-Man and his guest outside of the comic we just featured. I mean, Spider-Man is so ubiquitous in the Marvel Universe, he's met everyone. Several times, maybe. Exactly. So, Shag, what, what did you pick to discuss between Spider-Man and Black Widow across their entire history? I looked at a lot of options. Uh, I was going to pick a pretty obscure cartoon and throw that at you, but even I hadn't seen it. So I w that was a <laughs> bit of a shot in the dark. But instead, I went with Amazing Spider-Man number 86 from 1970. So uh, this is a Stan Lee story, which is great. You, all, you know, all the classic Spider-Man there. And uh, it is the introduction of Black Widow's traditional skin-tight black cat suit, the one with the chain belt, you know, that everyone kind of knows her for. Uh, in that issue, she sheds her old Black Widow costume. She decides to become a hero again, and she wants to test herself against Spider-Man, and Spider-Man's all woozy, and she starts to kick the crap out of him, and she's thinking, this guy's nothing. And then he quickly sort of pulls it together and smacks her down. She's like, whoa, okay, he's a lot tougher than I thought. Anyway, all of this was leading to her own monthly strip that I mentioned earlier when I said she had a really good run for, you know, about eight years where she was published nonstop. This is where it starts. It starts in this issue and then immediately goes to Amazing Tales. It makes sense that Black Widow would have a relationship to Spider-Man, you know, just thematically. But I didn't know that basically the costume she wears in the movies, is, you know, the costume. Yep was introduced in uh, Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah, I didn't know I didn't know it either until my research because I was looking for all kinds of different uh, team-ups to use and this is the one that I, I read through several and I'm like, oh, I like this one. And it was a lot of fun. It's a good a good issue to read. And also, I, I can't go without mentioning, uh, there's not a lot of MCU team-up between Black Widow and Spider-Man, but the coolest has got to be in Civil War. The big airport fight that everybody knows when the two groups of heroes you know, are running at each other and Spider-Man's right there next to Black Widow. So it's a, a great moment for them together. They're on Team Iron Man. Yeah, man. <laughs> the wrong side of history. <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah. For me, it's, uh, I'm going to say Marvel Team Up 82 through 85. There's actually a, an arc running through there with Black Widow. Uh, the Widow is, has been turned into a sleeper agent. She's forgotten her true identity, and it culminates in her slapping Viper around. So that's very satisfying. But there's like different. <laughs> Guest stars, of course, for the, each issue, yep. but she's in the background there. There's like a, a little shield arc where she's been brainwashed. I think that's, uh, that's a, a very fun batch of issues. We may end up getting to those at some point, uh, if we keep at this forever, because I do want to hit the Chris Claremont run, because that's what that is. That's the Chris Claremont run where it starts with uh, Sal Bushima and eventually moves into John Byrne. Right. That was one of the... Uh, sequences that we looked at as to where do we begin. Right. Uh, so we we decided on the the rise and fall of the black costume. But but uh, yeah, the Chris Claremont issues are probably the next big chunk that we would attempt. Yeah, it's good stuff. And then our final feature, the bonus team up, in which each of us proposes the perfect Black Widow team up. What do you got for us? So it's got to be without a doubt Black Widow and Spy versus Spy. Right? <laughs> so <laughs> it could be a lot of fun. Think about like Chris Eliopoulos, the guy who did like, you know, Franklin Richards, Son of a Genius and all that. It would be super fun. Okay, I'm not being serious, but that would be really cool. Uh, no, my team up would feature Black Widow with Amanda Waller. Just imagine the wall like handing out these deadly, you know, kind of like no way to win scenarios, suicide squad missions, really. Uh, and Natasha like just relishing the challenge. You know, you got espionage, intrigue, backstabbing, maybe a little bit of superpowers, supervillains here or there. I think it'd be a, a brilliant team up. I think that's a fun DC Marvel team up. Although, a Spy versus Spy, you could have Black Widow be the Black Spy. <laughs> Oh, okay. All versus right. White Spy. You could be Yelena in the white. <laughs> Yelena in the, the white. And it's, 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 <laughs> or it's the two of them working with each of the, the Mad Magazine spies. Right. I like the spy stuff. I also went that way. I put Black Widow with James Bond, Ooh. which seemed very natural to me. She would give him a run for his money with Russia, once again, considered an enemy. We can have Bond needing the help of a former Russian agent with contacts inside the country, then slam bang, stunts, death puns, femme fatalism, you know. And this is one instance where Bond 
doesn't get the girl, but maybe Natasha gets the boy. Oh, nice. I like that. So this makes me immediately think of Goldeneye, all right? You know, if Famke Jansen hadn't gone on to be Jean Grey with red hair, yeah, yeah. she would have made a great Black Widow with red hair. Yes, that character in Goldeneye is kind of the Black Widow. Oh, there's some weird statistic things going on with that character, too. Well, but, I yes. mean, in the way, you know, the, the action, I know, she, yeah, maybe uh, Natasha doesn't do as much thigh action. <laughs> yes, but the the Baccarat, the crazy driving, the spy stuff, the badass fighter, yeah, all of that. And, yeah, the look. Yep, yep it would have worked. That's it for the, the, the first show of the new era of FW Team Up. So thanks for teaming up with me, Shag. Oh, it's been um, a blast. Thank you so much for having me. Tell people what you're working on at the moment, because uh, obviously you're on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. What shows are, are coming up in, um, would be July? Sure thing. Uh, so I am wrapping up on my Once Upon a Geek podcast. I'm wrapping up my coverage of V. I uh, did a massive three-part story, uh, or our three-episode arc on the podcast, all about the classic V from the 80s. I apologize. Each episode is like three hours long, but there's a lot to talk about. So uh, wrapping that up, going to be moving forward into like maybe some Doctor Who, some different areas over there on Once Upon a Geek. Then, of course, we've got the Justice League International Pua podcast, where we are moving along through the general glory saga of the Justice League International era. And then also, of course, I'm part of the Who's Who podcast and Digest cast and Aquaman and Firestorm and any number of other shows over on the network. All right. A reminder that we do have a Patreon. So if you like this content, want more like it, please think about making a monthly or one-time donation, the amount of which will allow you to unlock rewards. Check it out at patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. This month, we are proud to team up with our sponsor, Alan W. Wright, a.k.a. Bold Outlaw. We do enjoy reading your thoughts as well, so this, the best place for that is fireandwaterpodcast.com, but you can also visit the Fire and Water Podcast Network Facebook page or find us on Twitter at FW Podcast. We'll read your comments on this issue when Shag is back with us, but next month I'll be here with our friend Chris Franklin as we begin his coverage of Brave and the Bold with issue 182 as your second hint if you want to get ahead of it. <laughs> on that... We'll see you next time for another amazing superhero team-up, because after all, justice, justice is, is a team, team effort. Hey, big guy. Sun's getting real low. <laughs>